primary care knowledge boost, common GP presentations in young girls. Welcome back to Primary Care Knowledge Boost. A bit of housekeeping to start off with before we get into the meat of the episode. This is probably going to be our last episode before Christmas so that we can take a little bit of a break and come back refreshed in January. (laughs) It's the plan. Um, (laughs) As we said in our last episode, going forward, we've got a mix of clinical and non-clinical topics coming. Given the nature of GP at the moment with winter and COVID and the vaccine planning, scheduling is going to be a little bit tricky. Um, So as a heads up from January, we're still going to aim to release an episode every two weeks and there may well be additional episodes dropping in, in between those for you to enjoy as well. Yes, exactly. So a little bit chaotic, but lots of lovely episodes for you to enjoy. The main reason we're saying is just to forgive us that it might look a little bit (laughs) less scheduled. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, So today we have some more gynae for you, uh, which was a big requested topic from the listeners. Mm. Um, We've spoken to Dr. Uma Marthi, who's a GP with a special interest in gynae, um, having been a gynecologist before. And she's going to take us through some common presentations that we might see in young girls up to the teenage years. So we're going to start um, following the ages from early presentations such as vaginal bleeding in neonates and vaginal itch in toddlers and then move on to breast development and then vaginal discharge in teenagers. Yeah, we hope you enjoy. So can you just introduce yourself for the listeners? Hello, uh, I'm uh, Uma Marti, one of the GPs from uh, Castleton Health Centre. It's in Rochdale. Uh, Rochdale is a small town in Greater Manchester. Most of you probably uh, know it for wrong reasons, but it is a good place, I can say that. Um, Basically, I was a gynecologist for 16 years, and I had a lot of training in India, and I worked in many hospitals here. Uh, When I was a fourth-year registrar, unfortunately, I had to give up my speciality uh, because of various personal reasons. I jumped into family practice, family practice or gender practice, which is, uh, I think it's a, it was a blessing in disguise because uh, I feel I'm able to help more women in uh, mm-hmm. gender practice. Uh, I'm actually, they call me as a gypsy, a GP with special interest in women's health. Um, I just want to summarize all my experience. You can see that 16 years as a gynecologist and another 19 years as a GP, the amount of experience I had. I just thought I should share. But of course, I have a passion for women's health. Yes. The most interesting thing is there's not a, there are many things which are not in books uh, because uh, the, with the practical experience uh, in general practice so different. Uh, but that, this is the, I really thank uh, the team for giving me this opportunity to do the podcast. My topic is girl to granny gynae problems. Fantastic. This is all about practical points. You all are very good at reading books and you have more knowledge than me in about theory aspect. But I love to share my practical things with you all. Amazing, Eva. Brilliant. And you're absolutely right. Because it was lovely when you sent us the slides going through, you know, all the different bits and pieces you put. We were, we've picked a few of the, your presentation to ask you specifically about on the podcast. um, Because we thought, yeah, we don't get much teaching in that. And they're so useful. You see them, they are common problems in general practice. So, so um, looking at your slides, we've got a few questions for you. So we'll kick off. We followed a girl called Laura in your slides. uh, And it's a hypothetical. She's hypothetical. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll start right at the beginning with a potential presentation. If Laura's mum, for example, got in touch with us and she's quite worried. Laura's only five days old now. The mum has noticed some bleeding from her vagina. Can you talk us through that case, what you're thinking? Okay. 
Right. Uh, just to give you a brief introduction, uh, I just uh, I want to go through how since the child, female child is born. So, yes, this is a common thing. A mother can call us uh, saying that I just had a baby. It was a difficult delivery, but I'm just worried. But everything is now settling, except I'm worried about my little girl having some bleeding, which is uh, commonly seen. This is called as a neonatal uterine bleeding. It is seen in 5% of newborn girls. Uh, the, the reason for that is that when the mother is pregnant, she'll have plenty of hormones, especially the estrogen. So some of that hormone goes into the uh, baby uh, fetus uh, while she was in utero. Once the baby is delivered, still she'll have some hormones. So after delivery, what happens when the newborn, the levels will fall? And uh, that can cause like any estrogen withdrawal bleed. So it may not be like a heavy, heavy bleeding, but the mother will notice a little bit of blood mixed with mucus. And sometimes could be, she could say, oh, the nappy is stained with some blood, which is very common. A routine, as we are, as GPs, we are good at asking, how are you? And how is your baby? Is the baby drinking, taking milk properly? So if you exclude all the other, uh, how the baby, whether the baby is happy or not, then you can reassure the mom very well. We just explained to her that is a common feature. Uh, we see in babies because of the withdrawal the, of the estrogens. From medical point of view, uh, this is this is common. It can happen between two to ten days. Uh, it's called as false menses, but it happens more after that. We may have to reassess the baby, so we don't expect uh, a two-week-old baby having a menstrual loss like that. Then we have to ask more history whether it's the old blood coming from the last week or uh, any fresh bleeding. So that's very important. So the one point where it is very important for GPs is we have to code this. The neonatal uterine bleeding, we should code. There is a code for that. If you look on the, I, I work with emails, I'm sure even with other versions of different mm -hmm. computers, they can code it. The reason for that is they're trying to do a research work linking whether this neonatal uterine bleeding is responsible for the future endometriosis. Uh, so much research is going on, it's not yet confirmed. Yeah. So it's generally, it's reasonably normal within the first two to 10 days of life. Yeah. It can be up to yeah. 5% of uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. newborn girls. Yeah. yeah. And then anything after two weeks is, yeah, is yeah. abnormal. Anything after 10 days is not. Two to 10 days. Uh, okay. uh, the, uh, the most important thing we have to tell the mother is just to clean and keep it, keep the area clean. Yeah. Okay. Fab. And as long as the baby's happy and healthy otherwise, yeah, yeah. then it's nothing yeah, to worry yeah. about. Okay. Fantastic. So... That's that was great. We've we, we're going to see Laura again, <laughs> so she's she's a little bit older. Um, she's about four now, um, and her mum has contacted her with some concerns that she just seems a bit uncomfortable. She's scratching down below, and she's crying sometimes when she's passing urine. Um, so what what are you thinking? Um, in, in this terms of presentation, how would you how would you approach that? Right. Uh, so the, our Laura is now a, like a toddler now. Uh, so she'll be doing lots of things. She'll be sitting in the bathtub for a long time. And uh, she enjoys playing with sand. And uh, she's also uh, getting, trying to get uh, potty training as well sometimes. Uh, that is the age when the moms try to um, teach the children. So when I, when a mother, when the Laura comes, I usually ask the mom more questions about Laura. Mm -hmm. uh, is it something new? Is she seeing... Uh, did she notice it even before? What, what's exactly going with Laura? 
Uh, one thing where I would like to know about uh, about her um, any inc- bowel and bladder control, like basically, you know, at that age they can have wet nappies, they can have, uh, um, uh, you know, a uh, which can actually any wet uh, the, the urine itself is irritant. So I would like to ask more about uh, her uh, potty training as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, what about the mother habits, like uh, whether she uses any special wipes to clean the bottom, which is some, sometimes the uh, wealthy worrying mums do that a lot with uh, all the flavored type of wipes they use, which is unfortunately not very good for the baby. And um, uh, have they bought anything new, like, you know, new underwear or some nylon underwear or something special? Um, you know, has she started uh, swimming lessons? So all that history is very, very important. Uh, one thing is um, very common is uh, we see during, uh, especially after Christmas in January, this is my experience, I see a lot of uh, women, mothers bringing their children because for uh, Christmas they get a lot of these uh, gifts, all these special bubble baths, and the girls will like to sit there mm-hmm. for a long time. And then um, so that's one of the reasons uh, which I find it. So I'll find out more about that mm-hmm. history before jumping into anything. The other interesting feature is um, before I examine, I take all this history and I ask <clears throat> about the mom, whether, she, whether uh, Laura is scratching her bottom uh, in the night as well, you know, just to observe uh, because there's a special condition, special uh, condition like a thread worm infestation is very common at that age group. Uh, especially it's a little bit older as well because uh, they scratch the bottom uh, and these uh, thread worm is nothing but it's the scientific name is improvious vermicularis. These ones are, look like a small, fine, fine threads. They come out in the night and some of them can uh, crawl to the front. When they crawl and they lay eggs everywhere as well, you'd be surprised to know one female thread one can lay about 16,000 eggs. Oh. Uh, you can't see them actually, but if the mother takes some interest in checking the knickers, you know, and to look at whether there are any worms there, or especially observing the child in the night whether it's scratching the bottom. Uh, that's very, very important. So it's very easy to treat this condition. If there is any doubt, they need not even go to the GP. If the child is about two years, of course, our, our Laura is now big, so she can even get the prescription, especially with the COVID situation. She need not have an urgent telephone call with a, a GP. And the mother can go and uh, see the chemist, and the chemist will give a, a chewable tablet or a liquid. The common medication is mebednozole. Mebednozole is very safe. It's about 100 milligrams per in 5 ml. The bottle is about 30 ml bottle. So 5 ml, just a stat dose, is enough to to kill the uh, worms. But the most important thing is, number one, the whole family should be treated if they have siblings like any of our sisters, yeah. brothers, mom and dad. All of them should have the treatment at the same time. And this mebanazole, of course, there is a contraindication in pregnancy. We have to make sure if the mother is pregnancy, we have to uh, find out that as well. Mabendazole only kills the worms. It doesn't kill the eggs. So we have to explain to the mom that they have to take special precautions, make sure that the, the Laura washes her hands uh, after she goes to toilet, before she has her meals, and the general um, personal hygiene things, which we all were told when we are young, that not to bite the nails, all those things are very, very important. That's what our Laura has to do uh, to help her not to get this infection again. But one more thing is, after two weeks, she should have another dose of 5 ml so that uh, we cover everything. Two doses are very helpful because it takes two weeks for these eggs to hatch. So we take, if we take care of the worms as well as the eggs and the general precautions, I think Laura will be a happy girl and no more itching. That's the thing. <laughs> and Uma, does the 
Is there an age cut off in terms of who can have mebendazole? Yeah. Uh, mebendazole is, a, is actually from six months they can have mebendazole. If you have any doubt, you can check the BNF children book as well. But you, we have to prescribe for children between and the dose also you have to check. And he's available over the counter as well. Uh, in any case, as we GPs, we don't do anything uh, without checking uh, twice or thrice. Uh, that's what we do. Even for this BNF uh, children's book, we can check before we prescribe. Yes. Fab. Um, so we've, we, it's it's turned out that it's not looking like threadworm. She's not itching her, her bottom, and there's no sightings of any worms. Have you, any anything yeah. else we should be thinking about? Usually, uh, moms always they ring and they say, "I think my daughter has thrush." Okay. But to be honest, thrush is very, very rare in children because it's a candidal infection, which is uh, unusual because of the, because let me just uh, give you some information about how the hormones play with any vulval condition. Two extremes of age, the girls, you know, at that age group before start, before puberty. And then if you look at the other extreme, the menopausal, they both lack in estrogen. So when there is no estrogen, the labia are not well developed. When the labia are not well developed, there is a risk that, you know, it can, and the labia will be flat so they can have any infection easily. And also because the vagina is not estrogenized, you know, that is another thing as well. We know about candida. Candida likes to be in a very acidic pH as well. So these, so as such, candidal infection is very, very rare. Okay. So when the mom says we can, we, we can ask the mom to bring uh, Laura, uh, Laura and have a look at it as well. But most often it will be an irritation uh, because of the chemicals which are used and also the type of nappies. Some people will be allergic to the type of nappies and everything. And the third, they've been, they keep scratching all the time. We have to be very careful as well because uh, uh, that, um, the, is it giving us an alarm? Of something else, you know, like sometimes you see um, child safeguarding issues as well. So we have to explore uh, more. Uh, in some cases, we have to look at that why why the big child is scratching all the time. Are there any uh, child protection issues there? If we have uh, a doubt about it, uh, as uh, we as GPs, we will look into it and we ask more appropriate questions and everything. But uh, that that that's one of the things as well. I will talk more about. Uh, it, you know, because some, sometimes the soreness is very, very important, more than the discomfort, vaginal irritation we have discussed all the time. So when a young mom brings and says that, or she rings you and says she's crying in pain, one condition which is very well we all should be thinking about is uh, female genital mutilation. So if you have more history, looking at the background, uh, where, where the baby's parents, where are they from? What is their cultural attitudes? Is there any reason for this uh, girl have to be um, have any female genital mutilation? And you may think, uh, why am I bringing this topic? But I have seen this actually. Unfortunately, I have seen one case like that. So this is a very very rare. So first, simple things we have to think about the changing the fabric conditioners, washing powder, irritants, bubble baths, all those things we have to consider. And then we have to consider about these worm infestations. And the other things are just to, for the uh, completion shake or illness, to be alert as the child uh, safeguarding issues or um, the female genital medicine. In, in, in any of these cases, if you have, uh, you know that you have every practice has their local policies so they can uh, contact the, they can alert and the local, you know, uh, lead of the child protection procedures can be followed there. 
Yeah. One thing I think I forgot, which is, which is very rare, that's why I didn't mention about using foreign bodies. Okay. Oh, yes. uh, foreign bodies, a yeah, young uh, toddler can put things, you know, so like uh, something, a bead from a Barbie doll, she might put inside and they can cause the result of discharge. Um, so Uma, vulvovaginitis, is that, where does that fit into that picture? Is that when you were talking about irritants and things, that that's the kind yeah. of picture of that irritation from all those causes that you just mentioned about bubble baths yeah. or different changes in the... Yeah, yes, yes. And uh, the, uh, the other thing, you know, the simple things uh, will help us. Simple advice, avoid tight underwear, uh, make sure that they're uh, giving the mom advice about using cotton wear. And another important thing is overweight. If the child is obese as well, these problems will be more common as well. So because of the wear, the sweat and everything. So that we can take an opportunity and uh, address the childhood obesity at that point as well. We are holistic. So we actually, small thing, a vulval uh, symptom will lead us to offer, explore and offer uh, um, various management options for the mother. One more important thing I actually forgot is we should never forget about the general things causing, like an eczema causing a, a symptom. So we address those as well. If the if the young Laura has eczema, she can have irritation of the vulva as well. So and most of the times we a bit of reassurance, a bit of uh, um, use of barrier creams and uh, advice. So these are the things we normally look at uh, when a, when a young girl comes with uh, irritation, vulva irritation. I was just having a look at your um, present presentation, Uma, and I think the other things that you'd mentioned at the time were things like um, UTI, obviously, which we've not talked about and is a, a massive topic, too much for us to go into right now. But um, uh, At this point, actually, I think I can discuss about the labial adhesions as well. There's another condition called labial adhesions. Yeah. Um, sometimes uh, young girls, because of the lack of estrogen in some uh, children, they can the labia minora can just attach or cause additions between the labia minora. So this is they stick together because of the low estrogen. Uh, the, at that situation, what happens is uh, when there is a stick, there, there will be some of the secretions, vaginal secretions can lodge there, and that can also cause uh, vulval irritation. Um, when the girl passes urine, some of the urine can lodge in there between the labial adhesions and can cause UTI, recurrent UTIs also can cause. It is very rare, but um, always as we do, we are doing telephone consultations. If the symptom is persistent, we normally bring and examine the child. This is one something as a GPs we have to look at. You know, is there any inflammation? Where is the inflammation? Is the inflammation over the labia? Is the inflammation over the uh, perianal area? Or what about the labia? Are they attached together? At my my dental examination, you need not even without touching the baby, you can just observe the labia, and uh, they uh, usually uh, get separated after after the labia is estrogenized. So if you're really in doubt, uh, just send them to the gynecologist. Yeah, perfect. Thanks, Una. So if we move on, Laura's growing up. Uh, she yeah. comes back to see us and she's 10 years old now. Her mum is worried about her breast development. Uh, she started some development of the left side, but not the right. And there's a small pea-sized lump under her nipple. Uh, what would you tell mum? And when would presentations like this worry you? It's uh, very interesting to know before uh, I discuss this case, I just wanted to mention, yes, uh, there are many anxious moms. I'm sure most of you have seen that type of cases. We should do something about the puberty. Normally, you know, the age uh, starting the puberty is, is reducing. That is, uh, girls are attaining puberty very, very early nowadays. The 
time, the normal time of puberty in European uh, population is about, in girls is about eight years, in boys is about nine years. So what happens when the, uh, there's so many hormonal changes happen? And I, we usually say that uh, the young girls start developing uh, breast, de breast development. We call it as a thalarchy. And then uh, development of hair, uh, adrenarchy. And after once the breast development happens, thalarchy, they say after two years, exactly after two years, there will be menarchy. That means she'll start her periods. Okay. So this is an important change in the life of a young girl. You actually see mothers who have a strong family of uh, breast cancer, they worry more. And uh, any any changes in the breast, uh, they'll have a feel of the breast and they feel, oh, it's very hot. When we look at the tanner is the person uh, who actually staged the breast development. There are a few stages in tanner. I'm not going into details of that. Uh, don't worry about it. But I just want to mention that there are five stages. The stage one is just the elevation of the papilla only. But this is stage two where there is an elevation of the breast and papillae. Uh, and there is a small mold develops around the areola, and the areola diameter also increases. So it's actually a beginning of the breast development. And it often happens one breast will be, uh, grow uh, earlier, one breast develops earlier than the other. So initially, the mother thinks, oh, the other breast is fine. My this right breast looks different from the left breast. Oh, this could be cancer or something like that. First of all, we have to reassure mother but there is no, there's no breast tissue for her to develop cancer because it's not even the glands haven't even formed. It's just a beginning and a good reassurance about the appearance. I usually show her the diagrams when they come to my clinic. I put the Google images and show them the tanner, the tanner staging. And this is what the staging your daughter is going through. And it's very, very common and not to worry. Because these things are very, very important because we have to, uh, if the mother is anxious, that will be form a seed in the child's mind. This is how she'll become more conscious about her breast. All the psychological implications will be there. So we have to reassure the mom to just to um, reassure the child as well. This, this is very common and you will get over it soon. So that is uh, very, very important. Same thing happens even with the development of the axilla and all that. What, what, do, what do I worry about it? Is if a, if a six-year-old girl comes before the breast development, because we call a precocious puberty if the secondary sexual characters are developed before eight years. Yeah. So I'll be very worried if a six-year-old comes with a, with a breast development and all the axillary hair, then I may have to refer mm. to the specialist. Lovely. Thank you, Emma. That's great. So, oh yeah, Laura's grown up even more now. <laughs> so she's nearly 15 this time um, and she's come to see her herself this time without her mum and she's a bit concerned because of um, this discharge that she's been having throughout the month from her vagina how would you approach this what's what's going through your head here uh, she's a teenager she'll be reading all these magazines and she'll have a lot of uh, friends talking about uh, various things about sexual development having relationships um, talk about menstrual problems. And one thing is, in my experience, usually on a Thursday evening or a Friday evening, I see young girls making an appointment, I have a sore throat because they come on their own. If it's a sore throat, mom will say, go and see the doctor. That's how they come to me. But once they enter my room, there's a lot of hidden agenda. They, they will be very shy to start with. Then I'll say, what is going on with you? What, how, can, how can I help you? Please feel free. I'm a gynecologist doctor as well. I'm a female health doctor. Anything I can help you. Then they'll come up with various things. Oh, I just uh, 
having some vaginal discharge. The most important thing when we take the history is very important of all. So when when somebody comes to us and say about vaginal discharge, we should ask a very important questions like, when did you notice the discharge? Is it related to menstrual cycle? Um, and then what is the color of the discharge? How much amount? The amount is very, very important. Sometimes if the, if the young girl says, I, the discharge is so much, I have to wear a pad every day. That means there's an excess of discharge. So if it's a physiological discharge, it won't be that excess. Okay, we'll talk more about that as well. Then we can slowly, after taking the history, then we can ask about her sexual history. Is she in a relationship? Um, partners, uh, boy, her boyfriend, how old is her boyfriend, and any travel, all those mm-hmm. things we have to find out. What are her concerns? You know, as GPs, we always use this eyes, ideas, concerns, expectations, uh, and most of the GPs are quite good in exploring uh, the uh, concerns, and uh, uh, then she might slowly talk. She will open up, okay, uh, and start telling you about her uh, sexual relationships or whatever things. And another important thing we couldn't forget, we can't forget is whether she has, Laura has a a diabetic, is there any history of her diabetes or is she on any immunosuppressants? That's also very, very important. So all that history is very, very important. And um, is the discharge, is a recurrent discharge or is it, is she noticed it recently? Like uh, whether she had any antibiotics recently for a sore throat or something, because if she had a sore antibiotics, likely to develop thrush. And then uh, is she taking contraceptive pill? Uh, pill is also high estrogen. It, she's likely to develop thrush uh, as well with that. So a good history is very, very important. So before uh, a good rapport we have to establish with a teenager, as you know, they're not easy to open up. So we have to encourage them to talk more about it. Uh, then um, coming to the point and say, does it smell? If Laura says, yes, I have a general discharge, it's um, uh, the mid, mid-cycle or uh, just after I finish my periods, I have a lot of discharge. It's uh, clear. It's not, uh, doesn't, it's not associated with any smell. Then uh, it's a physiological discharge. Then also I show the pictures. Laura, you should know about what is happening in your body. Your ovary is producing estrogen. This is a wonderful hormone. It gives you all the, all the good things. And at the same time, it can cause more secretions. So that's that's what is the normal. So I can, I will be, she will be happy that uh, to, to know that it is very common and others will have it. Um, if the story, if the story ends there, that's fine. But if Laura starts saying that, you know, I have a smelly discharge, I have um, a bit uh, painful sometimes, then we have to explore more history. Most important thing is there are some organisms which can cause vaginal discharge, called like a, a group B hemolytic streptococci is something which can cause. They say there is a, a transmission due to from the upper respiratory tract infection, okay? And also there's another infection, H influenza as well. So in case of any doubt, if there's this, please don't hesitate to take a low vaginal swab. We can take and do a low vaginal swab. We can explain to her. And then we also find out that does it, does it cause any um, pain anywhere else or any any urinary symptoms like that. So these two are like a, a, a bacterial infections which are not sexually transmitted, but they can happen in uh, young girls. Mm-hmm. The other most important thing is um, about uh, when we do the swab, suddenly there's a diagnosis of uh, some chlamydia or gonorrhea, which is very unusual. Then I think we have to bring her back and have a long chat about uh, what's happening and uh, we should not forget that uh, a lot of young teenagers exploited uh, uh, 
for various reasons, and uh, sexual abuse uh, is one of the cause for this unusual uh, symptoms, smelly discharge, and also a very positive um, uh, growth of some uh, uh, STI organisms like chlamydia or gonorrhea. Yeah. So we have to look back into this. Even trichomonas vaginalis, even bacterial vaginal cells are not um, common until unless they are sexually transmitted. It's rare. So we have to first, uh, yeah. so the history gives us, the most important thing is a good history about her sexual history. If she, if she doesn't come with her mom, that helps us a lot. If she comes with her mom, we, we should not hesitate to ask to see her alone and take more history about the vaginal discharge. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, in terms of um, that sort of age group, um, Uma, yeah. where would things like internal examination come in? Because it's always a bit of a kind of grey area and you never know if it's appropriate or not. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, if they are, if they are sexually active. Okay. Uh, actually, you'll be surprised. Most of them already have been to STI clinics even before you, they come and see us. Because there's so, there's so much education in schools nowadays. They're so aware of all these STIs. So, in that situation, if they already had the swabs and they know about it, uh, we take the opportunity to talk about the uh, uh, sexual health education to them using all these uh, barrier methods and all. At the same time, we also say that because especially if the symptoms are recurrent, okay, if the symptoms are recurrent, I, I explain to her the reason why I want to examine her. If she says, no, uh, I used to have only one boyfriend, I split with that boyfriend, now I, I had all negative tests, but still I have a discharge. I think we should take the opportunity to examine. The reason is she can have a la ectropion, you know, like changes that can happen on the cervix where the squamous epithelium will be replaced to a glandular epithelium. So that can cause excess discharge. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, you know, like it, she may not be symptomatic, uh, like uh, sometimes uh, or symptomatic, like uh, having a episode of bleeding after intercourse, but the main symptom can be a, a, pers a persistent vaginal discharge. Most of the time you can do a lower vaginal swab and see. But in case of doubts about any sexual abuse or anything, I think it's beyond our capacity. We have to alert and they have to go to the appropriate uh, specialist for examination. You know, if she has been any history of abuse. Yeah. So I, then also, I, then I don't examine. We, re, we refer her to the, our local special hospital uh, where they have a service there where she will be examined. Yeah, that's a really useful, useful overview, definitely. Um, yeah. And then just thinking, you mentioned about sort of some of the resources you use. You talked about the Tanner's stages that are quite useful to go through with, yeah. with patients. In terms of resources for primary care clinicians, what, what are yeah. your recommendations? Any kind of other things that you often go yeah. to that you'll use in practice? Yeah. Uh, the most important thing is uh, once there, there are, because most of uh, the GPs, they have a GP notebook on their thing, they click and know about it. But uh, to give it leaflets, okay, uh, Brit uh, SPAD, the British Society, of Pe uh, British Society for Pediatric and Adolescent Gynecology. That's a very useful website. It's a, it's a, it's a website, you need not become a member, but they have a lot of resources. What we do is we send a, um, like a text message. You can send a link to them. Brilliant. Okay. Yeah. And the mother can look into the leaflet of the vulva vaginitis. They have an excellent leaflet, patient information leaflet about the vulva vaginitis. They have a leaflet on labial additions and, um, NHS leaflets are also very good. The NHS websites are very good. You should give them the information about NHS websites. Uh, mm -hmm. That, that is also quite a useful resource. Uh, regarding the patient information. 
And regarding for the doctors, it's uh, the RCOG has excellent uh, guidelines. So, you know, you can easily access the green top guidelines uh, for management of these adolescents. Uh, well, vaginal discharge is a you know, important. Uh, there's a lot of information about uh, this. And one more uh, thing I want to introduce is uh, Primary Care Women's Health Forum. I don't know how many of you know about it. It was started about almost 12 years ago. Yeah, it's an excellent forum. And I would uh, strongly recommend that. The reason is it's, the membership is free, but if you pay, I think, about 35, 40 pounds, I'm not sure about the amount, they get um, free webinars and free lectures and everything. And it has a lot of information. And regarding the the guidelines and know more about the FGM, you know, female genital mutilation, very, very small module, 20 minutes module is there on e-learning for healthcare. It's a very small module and it's a lot of information. Okay, yeah, and that'll count towards your CPD safeguarding points. <laughs> uh, yeah, so what do you want people to take away from this talk we've had today? So the practical things, just to summarize, uh, Laura's life, uh, when she, yeah, as, a, as a child, as a newborn, she may have a bleeding, which can be reassured. And the next thing is uh, when she has, uh, uh, when she comes with vulval irritation, we take more history and we explore that. And then the next stage is when she develops uh, pubaki and uh, and adnaki. As a, I, many, I don't know now because I'm still a GPS practice. So we have, uh, we, I'm seeing the fourth generation now. So they will be so close to you and they'll be very free uh, to talk to you about their problems. So when they come with all this menarchy, adnarchy, telarchy development, they'll be very anxious girls. We have to reassure them. Then we take the opportunity as they grow older to talk about safe sex and also about the vaginal discharge reassurance. Plus, we should see alert or if we have any alarming signs. I hope that covers everything. That's really wonderful, Uma. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was lovely to um, to do the, the the official chat with Uma. We've had a, a lot of little chats in between, but it was really nice to get the recording done and lots of useful tips in there. I think Sarah, yeah. uh, what did you take away? Yeah, it was nice when she sent us through her slides that she has a whole a couple of different presentations all all about girl to granny gynecology. Uh, and as soon as we started reading, we're like, oh, we don't get teaching on these things. So yeah, it was <laughs> actually, amazing. Yeah, it was. It was really good. So I think it was only ST three. I had to admit that I'd sort of really picked up about vulvovaginitis and irritants mm. um, and those types of leaflets are just absolute gold for parents because sometimes it does seem to get missed um, so there yeah. can be a couple of different presentations before they get natural diagnosis. So I think yeah really you're completely useful. right yeah I know going through it I think um, having seen it as you go through training and then into working as a GP it's very easy as well yourself to um to go through oh well it's itching it's uh, it's thrush or um oh it's it's hurting when they go to the toilet it's UTI and you go for those big common presentations yeah. and I think just taking back and reflecting things like threadworm yeah. um and how common that is and how easy it is to treat um and like you say the vulvovaginitis like I think as a in babies, um, I was very good at treating that, thinking about nappies and irritants and um, going along that line rather than the thrush line. Um, but as they get a bit older into toddlers, I think you forget like what you said about the bubble baths yeah, um, yeah. and the January surge um, <laughs> and um, and things like onuresis and they might have some wetting still. Um, yeah, it's really important things to consider. Yeah, I hadn't um, also the neonatal bleeding. So neonatal yeah. uterine bleeding, I hadn't 
really ever come across it properly so I didn't know it was sort of five percent you know that that it's within two to ten days yeah and why yeah exactly really really useful and yeah going through the rest of it so it was all um is I think what I what comes across when somebody says experience Azuma is that comfort in kind of having your differentials with safeguarding in it and sort of knowing what to do with with safeguarding and what's appropriate I think it's really nice getting teaching from somebody who's seen those types of things yeah yeah I completely agree because it's I think it's quite hard to to work out oh you get a bit anxious you're like how am I going to bring up safeguarding Uh, like what am I going to say um it feels like you said it feels like a very separate thing whereas you're right it should just be part of the differentials and that really came across I think with Uma yeah yeah lovely so if you'd like to get in touch with any of your thoughts feedback or comments you can email us and our email address is primarycarepodcasts at gmail.com or we have a twitter which and thank you for people for getting in touch there our handle is at pckb podcast yes that's it um very confusing um and the oh you've also got our survey um that you can get in touch with um we still get that coming through regularly and and we get a little bit excited when one comes through because we like to get the feedback um and we have been um listening to you guys and are trying to arrange clinical topics kind of based on what people are, are requesting um and we put that as a link in our episode description um if you want to use that as well as a way to get in touch yeah perfect till next time on primary care knowledge boost hey guys just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public they were recorded in greater manchester in 2020 Guidelines can vary by location as well as over time, so always check for up-to-date local and national guidelines before making treatment decisions. Uh, The content is based on our interviewee's opinion and interpretation of current best practice. It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast. Check out the episode description for full details and any links that we've mentioned in the episode.